to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. John 4.23 says the time is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that time has now come and is here. You see, the Father too is actively seeking such people to worship him. In the Passion Translation, it says, from here on, to worship the Father is not a matter of the right place but the right heart. For God is a spirit or the breath or wind, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of spirit and truth. I don't know if you see the, the, the intensity in this passage that God is actively looking right now to connect with people that worship him in, in the reality of the spirit realm, that open, step into the realm of the spirit when they worship, but also that we worship in truth, that we worship according to the way God sees worship. Yeah. When you get married, if you're married, if you don't want to get married, love language is an important thing to get right. It's important to know what makes your partner feel loved. Particularly for men, we mess up. It's like a gift that we inherit. We try to speak our love language to express love to somebody else. And we wonder why we have an explosion. Or else we mess up still when we get the love language right, but we try to minister to that person according to how we'd want to be ministered to. My wife has the gift to speak all five languages at once. And my gift is to discern and interpret the language she's speaking on the day and to connect with her and to minister to her in that language. I remember when we were first married that I loved her. I was just stupid. And I didn't understand that there was a huge difference between men and women. From a fleshly level now to a heart connection level, you know, it was almost like I... I, was, I had this concept deep down that I was marrying my best buddy. And, 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 and so I thought I'd surprise her with a great present. And I thought, what would she want? Deep down, what would I like? And so I bought her a yellow, I think it was back then, a Canterbury um, rugby top. <laughs> it had logos all over it. and Parramatta eels, even better. And if you know Karen, A, she hates rugby with a passion. B, anything that says Parramatta, don't even bother. And, uh, and she doesn't like rugby tops. And the best thing would be is to give her $200 and say, go and buy a dress. Yeah. And so I gave her, the, I was so excited. I rang my friend up in Sydney and, and uh, he went down the store and bought it and shipped it down. I got it all ready and I gave it to her. And the look on her face... See, it'd be like her buying me tickets to go and see Cinderella on ice. <laughs> you know, for a man, when we, when we get what a present, we want something that blows it, something up, cuts, goes fast, you can eat it, makes lots of noise, and if it covers all those things, I like it. <laughs> and see, but so it's so important if we're going to connect with people that we find out what it is that they want what love language they speak, and then, then give it to them in a way that they enjoy, not in a way that we enjoy. And the problem with humans, one of the problems is that we, 
We want to do everything according to what we would like, what we think is right. And the issue when it comes to worship, it's the same with God. Just because we sing a song that says, I love you, doesn't mean that God feels loved. I guess we all come to church, I hope, we come to church because we love Jesus. How many people love Jesus? I'm setting you up now. How many people love Jesus? Really love him? Like, love him like if I put a gun to your head, keep your hands up, and I said, do you love Jesus? And if you say, yes, I'm going to shoot you, you'd still say, as far as you know, I love Jesus. You couldn't deny him. Some of these hands are going down. (laughs) Well, the thing about love is it demands a physical response. Nobody wants to marry a bride and wake up the next morning and think, oh, what have I done? She's devoid of passion. She doesn't really even sleep in the same bed as me. She won't kiss me. She won't hug me. She won't hold me. Nobody wants to do that. Everyone has this vision of when we get married that there's a partner that is passionately in love with us, that dotes over us, that thinks about us, that just wants to be with us. That's what marriage is supposed to be like. The motivation of worship is love, and love must find an expression to be love. 55% of all the communication that you have with me and I have with you is body language, and God's been reading our body language today. Worship is love expressed God's way. Did you hear that? Worship is love expressed God's way. You hear what I said? Not your way, but God's way. See, it's not like you, like me, bringing a gift to Karen, this Parramatta jumper, and saying, well, that's what you've got, you ungrateful woman. Wear the thing. Cost me money. No, the money's irrelevant. If she doesn't like it, if she doesn't feel like I know her enough to buy her the right gift, chuck it in the bin. Start again. The money's irrelevant. It's the concept that I know what you want. If I call him Lord, so worship is love, express God's way. If I call him Lord, I will submit my culture to his kingdom. I'm going to hit you today. Good. Listen to me. If I call him Lord, you all said today, many of you raised your hands, come to the head, I love Jesus. If you call Jesus Lord and you love him, you will submit your culture, your culture, your definition of church, religion, family, you know, whether you're black, white, African, Asian, English, you'll submit all of that to him. For God will not submit his kingdom to your culture. Did you hear me? It doesn't matter what your background is, how old, young, how fit, unfit you are. God refuses to submit his kingdom to your culture or my culture. So God was speaking to me and saying, Andrew, it's not that I don't love you, but your worship is not entirely what makes me happy. It's like giving Karen the Parramatta jumper. Sometimes you're offering up to me what you like, what feels good to you, what suits you, but it's not what I want. I'm tired today. I don't feel like it. Having had a good week. I don't know if you care about me. I can't be bothered. It doesn't look cool. What will people think? On and on it goes, playing in your head. And we offer up this worship. See, you read the book of Malachi, which I won't get into today. But God says through Malachi 
that the people that were going, oh, this is so weary, bringing God worship and, and sacrifices. So they got, you know, blind Bill the cow and, and Uncle Fred the dog with one, you know, one leg hanging off. And they say, here, God, take this. Here's your worship. Here's your sacrifice. And God says, I don't want it. I'm, I'm the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, and you offer me this? See, there's a couple of things about praise and worship. We, we worship and praise because he's worthy of our praise and our worship. That, that's, that's a no-brainer. But the other thing about praise and worship, whatever you bow to, whatever you worship, whatever you praise is that which you become. And the reason God wants you to worship him and praise him with enthusiasm and, and, and vigor is because as you do that, you will take on his nature. It's actually more about you than it is about him in some ways. In 2012, on the 19th of September, some of you may know this because I talked about it a while ago, some may not know about it, but on 2012, 19th of September, I woke up, which was good, and I heard the word Reg Garvin. It's an interesting thought. I haven't thought about him in years. And Reg was the captain coach of St Kilda Football Club. Uh, and when I knew him, he was in his, I think he was in his 80s, and he was the man, him and Nancy, that would come to a particular church that I went to, which was, it was a good church, but it, you know, it had its religious issues. And, and Reg and Nancy would come to church every week, and I can still picture them hand in hand, dancing like this. And I used to think, are you guys in the same church as me? Do, do you not know what's going on around? Can't you feel the... The, it was like they were oblivious. It was like they were in their own little bubble. And people would look at them and I'm sure despise them and, oh, stupid people. But week after week after week after week, it was like they weren't even dancing to our song. It was like they were just caught up in their own little world. Reg was born the 19th of September, 1912. I wake up the 19th of September 2012 and God says, Reg Garvin. I go to my Wikipedia and I look him up and I discover he would have been 100 that very day. Abraham was 100 years old when he had a son, the son of promise. The Bible talks about 30, 60, 100 fold. 100 is a picture of the fullness of the promise of, of a unbelievable harvest, hundredfold return. And God was saying, Andrew, I'm bringing back that same passion and enthusiasm to the church that will dance when everything seems to be going wrong. See, it's not hard to dance when everything's going right, but when people are leaving you, when, when things seem wrong, you just keep worshipping and praising and celebrating. See, he was the captain and the coach of the saints. And God is raising up captains in the saints that will coach others, that others will come in that are filled with darkness and we will say, you bring your heaviness and your despair and we will worship and as they walk into this place, they will be released and set free. Anybody can worship when it's good, but a church that is committed to radical, passionate, unrelenting, unceasing worship and praise will get their breakthrough. There's a connection between our worship and heaven's activity. I want you to see that. Zephaniah 3 is an amazing chapter. It says, sing. That word sing. And the problem is when we read a lot of English words in the Old and the New Testament, it, 
It doesn't give the fullness of the meaning to sing. Okay, sing. Sing means shout for joy. O daughter of Zion, shout. That word shout is the sound of voice of triumph or an alarm. So when we're shouting and singing, it's an alarm against the enemy. Be glad. That word glad is to be blissful and ecstatic and rejoice, which is jump for joy with all your heart. Can you hear the, the, the context? Shout for joy. Sound alarm. Be ecstatic. Jump for joy. For the Lord has taken away your judgment. He has cast out your enemy. The Lord of Israel, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will see disaster no more. He's saying, come on, church. The king's in your midst. I'm about to turn things around in your life. Sing, shout, dance, clap, sing, sing a word, twirl, dance, do whatever it is. But express worship to me. I think, oh, that's interesting. Verse 17. For the Lord your God is in your midst or inside you. This is who's in you. The mighty one. He's brave, strong. He's a warrior. He's a hero. He's a champion. This mighty one is in you and he's come to deliver you. So when you come to worship, you are releasing from within you this mighty champion, hero, warrior. And as we all come together and we begin to worship, something begins to shake like it did with Paul and Silas in the jail. As they worship, the chains were smashed from the inside out because they released the deliverer within them. Don't you know who's inside you? And see, it's, it's one thing to have the word come to you, but when we release the word through us, it begins to shatter the, the change. And the enemy wants to keep you silent. He wants to keep you to, uh, to, uh, stuck in your chair. But God says, break out, enlarge. It says, uh, uh, 3.17, he will rejoice. This is God now. Okay, I want to shatter your illusions about God. He will rejoice. This word rejoice is jubilant celebration, to be merry, to be glad while leaping and springing in the air. This is God. He says, as you worship, you're just mirroring what's happening in heaven. Because in heaven right now, I am leaping and rejoicing and springing in the air over you. And I'm doing it with gladness. That word gladness is pleasure, jovial, how God's jovial. He will quiet you with his love. I'm going to talk about this next week. That word quiet means to sketch or engrave or imagine. So when God's worshipping, when God's singing, he's actually etching and drawing you in his mind. It's next week. He will rejoice. This word rejoice is to spin around under the influence of a violent emotion. This is God. Hello, this is God. This is God in heaven spinning and rejoicing and celebrating every time you connect in, in heart worship with him. In fact, all through your day, God is rejoicing over you. He will rejoice over you with singing. That word singing is a shrill gladness, proclamation, joy. Now again in Revelation 19 verse 6, if you think that was just a one-off, um, you know, God, God had, had a meltdown. No, all of heaven's like this. Revelation 19 6, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God all powerful reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. That word rejoice is jump for joy, leap. Spring, gush like water, exceeding joy. This 
is what is happening in heaven as they begin to worship God. They are leaping, singing, rejoicing, running, dancing, twirling. And you say, on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. No, in heaven, in heaven, there is radical celebration. And I said at the start, if I call him Lord, I will submit to his culture, his, his, his kingdom. How many people love Jesus? Less hands, no more hands. So if I love Jesus, Jesus, what is your love language? Celebration, rejoicing, spinning, twirling, clapping. Why then most churches, most people look like tin sardines. They're stuck there, they won't move, they're stuck to their chair. Why is that? And that's what God was saying to me as I stood there. Andrew, don't you hear the cry of my heart, the emotion of my heart? Not that I'm angry or cross or grumpy, but oh, that my people would discover what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. What's truth? Worshiping God's way. If exuberance and joy dictate the climate of heaven, then they should permeate the atmosphere of earth. Should they not? Do you agree? Am, am Am I not seeing this right? But if it dictates heaven, he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sadness. Then surely the overall, I mean, this time we weep with those that weep. But the predominant disposition of our heart must be celebration and joy. David knew this. That's why he was called a man after God's own heart. A man that could read God's love language. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, The Lord has sought, strove after, beseeched. For himself, a man after his own heart. Can you imagine that? God, looking through the world, looking through this church, is there somebody that will love me that speaks my love language? Is there someone that loves me more than the fear of man that's so concerned about what other people think? Who cares what they think? You only need a few. You only need four men to let you down to see Jesus. You don't need a whole crowd See, you find, and this is why friends are so important. This is why church is so important. People just pick churches and friends based on so many reasons. I'm looking for friends and a church that are passionately in love with Jesus. I will drive past 10 to get to the right one. I will go past many friends to find the right friend. David knew this. He was a man after God's heart. And God's looking, searching for a man. Acts 13, 22, it says, I have found David. I've found him, this prize. The son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. What's his will? I'm looking for someone who will celebrate, rejoice, sing, clap, stomp, bow, run. I'm looking for someone that will celebrate me. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up a, a saviour called Jesus. From this seed, what seed? A celebration seed, an exaltation, joyful seed. I'm going to raise up Jesus. And that Jesus lives in you today. You have the seed of David, the seed of Jesus in you. And you may not know it today, but deep inside you, there is a seed wanting to break out. You are a twirling revivalist waiting to break out. You are. He's not talking about me. I'm talking about you, sister. I'm talking about you, brother. Get up. Stir yourself. David worshipped. 2 Samuel 6.16 says, 
that he brought the ark of the, of the Lord back. And there was his wife looking out of a window, gaining a perspective of David that was all wrong. And people did that with Reg and Nancy. They gained a perspective looking at their narrow religious little window. Mm, what a feel they're making of themselves. And they perceived and they saw through fleshly demonic eyes and they didn't see what God was seeing. So he, she says to David, what a fool you've made of yourself. Oh, hasn't the king made such a fool of himself in front of all the slave girls? You've disrobed yourself and they're looking at you with contempt. And David said, you know what? There's a reason God chose me over your pops family. And the reason is your pops family was more impressed with, with what man saw, with man's idea. But God chose me because he saw my heart. He knew that I wasn't afraid to offend people, that my one passion was to please my father. And you know what? Those servant girls that you think are stupid, they, they've seen through what you didn't see. They've seen my heart. And because I, w- I was the one that would worship and celebrate, they are attracted to me. And my friend, some people will be repelled by your radical demeanor, but there will be slave girls and slave men that will come into the kingdom and they will see your passion and they will say, I want what he has and she has. And that same woman, she, as she looked and she despised him, she was barren to the day she died. And I don't know whether it was barrenness because she couldn't have a kid or barrenness because she didn't know how to be intimate anymore. But the fact is, she was no longer fruitful. Fruitfulness comes from a passionate heart. Every time you make love to Jesus in worship, something is born in your womb. That's where things come alive in worship. Worship is spiritual intercourse. I just looked around for children. That's what worship is. And every time you make love to Jesus in the spirit, as you worship and praise him, something is germinated in your spirit. And the reason some of us get barren is we forgot the art of passionate lovemaking called worship. And I tell you what, if you want a baby, if you've never had a baby and you're desperate for a baby, you'll try IVF, you'll stand on your head, you'll take every concoction. I've got, I know that the, the pain that comes when people can't have babies. And I tell you what, when you're passionate and you want a breakthrough, you'll begin to sing, O barren woman. Solomon, like his dad, like his pops. It says in 2 Chronicles 5, 6, It says, And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, they went before the ark and they were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for the multitude. Isn't that amazing? No thought to their extravagance. And even beyond counting. Have you ever been so lost in worship, so radical in your expression, that it was beyond it says in verse 13 of chapter 7, I think, uh, sorry, verse seven, chapter 7, verse 4, it says that they offered a sacrifice, this was after the temple was dedicated, of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. That's a whole lot of sacrifice and worship and praise. That is a massive slaughter, a massive waste, a massive celebration. Can't you see the the passion in the heart of David and then in Solomon? Is it any wonder that the glory of the Lord filled the temple? See, I have a conviction. 
when God finds a place, and this is not trying to manipulate, but my, my conviction is when God finds a people that would passionately worship him without any restriction, the glory of the Lord will fill his house. Worship must have an expression. You cannot worship God with your arms folded, with your mouth closed. I'm sorry. That's like saying I've got a wife and I love her, but I never buy her gifts. You're a fraud. That's what you are. You don't love her. You're selfish, you're rude, you're arrogant, and you shouldn't be married. But now that you are married, change. A man that loves his wife will shower her with gifts and tell him how much she means to him. All the men are... That's, that's passion, is it not? Worship must have an expression. And, and what I'm trying to relay to you today is that God is a passionate, extravagant, emotional God. Not a God that we put in a box, theorize, but he's a passionate lover. And he's saying, that's what I want from you today. It has to have an expression. When you come to church and when you're at home, it, it must have an expression. You don't have to tell kids this. Put on music, they'll express themselves. Dance, sing, shout, make noise. Our house is so noisy. And then I sing and they all clear out. But it has to have an expression. And, and I'm just going to share quickly a number of expressions, and they're not everything. It's just a sample of what God likes. I'm going to teach you about his love language. Shouting warns the world that we have a king in our camp. Numbers 23, 21 says, The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. As we shout in worship, it releases the king to come in his power. 2 Samuel 6.15 says that. Again, in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you. Did you hear that? Rejoice and shout because your king is coming to you. See, there's such a power when God's people in worship begin to shout praise, shout out the name of Jesus, shout out their devotion. There's something that has to shift for you to go from talking quietly to shouting. There is an expression. Go to the football when nothing's happening, it's quiet. When it gets towards the end and it's very tight and they're going to kick the winning score, people stand up on their feet and they begin to shout at the umpire, shout at their players, shout at the crows, the seagulls. They're just shouting at everybody. There's passion being released. Isaiah 12, 6 says, Cry out! And shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. You read on in that passage, there is a direct correlation between shouting and the king coming and him bringing deliverance over the enemy. They shouted and the walls came down. And you go, well, what's the difference if I shout or don't shout? My friend, the, if God says that's my love language, that's my definition of worship, I will submit my culture to his kingdom. Yeah. Did you hear me? Yeah. We as a church will submit our traditions, our experiences, our nationalities, our families. You may have been brought up where to shout was wrong. Well, you know what? Whoever told you that, they're wrong. 
Because the kingdom says shouting is part of worship. It's part of what heaven does well. If you don't like shouting, you better get some things for your ears when you get to heaven. Psalm 66, 1. Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Don't you see this? Read, read for yourself. Go through the Psalms. Read these things. Look, look at the connection. Whenever I see that, what takes place? When God's people shout, the walls come down. Another one is bowing. Oh, come, Psalms 95, 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before God our maker. For he is our God and we are his people. See, the thing God had against Israel that I've taught you about, about the heart, is that they were a stiff-necked people. A stiff neck won't bow. It refuses to bow. And God's saying you need to bow. See, bowing is acknowledging that God is both our father, but he's our king. Even the prince bows to the king. And we bow before him. I went and saw a play called The King and I. And those who know the play or seen the movie, the, the king insists that everyone's head is lower than his. And there's a scene where the king and the school teacher, and, uh, and he's playing games with her. He gets down low and she has to go down lower until you know, she, her head's on the ground. The Hebrew word most translated for worship in the Old Testament is the word shakar, S-H-A-C-H-A-A, H-A-H. And it means to bow. In fact, the New Testament word for worship actually means to prostrate, which is even lower than bowing, where your face hits the ground. And this is very much a part of worship where we come and we bow down. We're using our body. We are humbling ourselves. If we bow to him... I have a conviction that sickness, disease, poverty, lack will bow to us. Psalm 106.19 says that they made a calf and they worshipped and bowed down to the molten image and they changed their glory into the image of the ox. Whatever you bow to, you take on that image. Are you bowing to sickness and despair and poverty and hopelessness today? We've all bowed. We've all bowed to things in our life. But this is the thing. Whatever you bow to, you become. That's why it says you'll have no other graven image. You'll have no other image but me. Why? Because God wants us to bow to him. And as we lay down and we humble ourselves and we honor him. And that's what they're doing in heaven. They cast down their crowns and they bow before him. And as they do that, there's a further revelation. Holy, holy is the Lord. And they become, they see more of his glory. They are more empowered. And as we come to worship, there is a place where we bow down before him. We honor the king. We worship Jesus. We're aware of what happens. There is a holy thing taking place when God's people come together and he inhabits our praise. And we come in and we worship the king. Now, you know, if you go back years, there was... There was a degree of sacredness about the church. I remember playing cricket and footy inside the church and my, uh, my grandpa getting cross. You don't kick the footy in church. It's a holy place. And, and there's a place where that's, you know, that's, there is a degree of religious ideas because it's just a building. But there is something on the other side, sacred when we come together. The, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and, and the king is in our midst and we worship him. And as we prostrate ourselves and bow, as people come in with sickness and disease, 
it will bow to God. You need to see there's a correlation between the expression of our worship and what God does in our midst. And I just wonder whether all the things that we desire to see would begin to evolve if we learn what it really meant to say on earth as it is in heaven. Where we would lay aside our culture, our fallen culture, to his culture. You know, really, let me blunt, it really doesn't matter what you think, what you feel like. It's irrelevant. I'm sorry. David said, oh my soul, pull yourself together, rise up and praise the Lord. Because the reality is that deep within you is a worshipper. You're in Christ. That same seed in David is in you. You can't help but break out. And the soul is just, it, it's taken in all the environment and it's made a conclusion that you're not a worshipper. And David said, soul, step out of the way until you get yourself in line. I'm drawing down from, from deep waters and I'm allowing that to rise up. And as that does, my soul will get into alignment and, and I'll begin to worship in spirit and in truth. Dance. We've said, shout, bow, dance. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord rejoices over us with singing. That word singing, sorry, that word rejoice means to dance and spin. Psalm 149.3, praise. That word praise is halal, to celebrate, to boast. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice. That word rejoice is to spin around. God's saying, come on, church, spin around. Let them praise his name with the dance. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. So as we dance, it says he will, he will beautify the humble and bring them salvation. As we humble ourselves in the dance, well, I don't feel like dancing. Well, you know what? If you're physically capable of dancing, my friend, there is no excuse. And it, I don't, I'm not talking about you now, but it's amazing how the church can be encouraged to worship and people still stand there and refuse. But they say they love Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's as crazy as a man saying he loves his wife but never buys her flowers, gifts, never says he loves her, never kisses her, never holds her. He's a fraud. He's an imposter. Miriam the prophetess. She celebrated with the tambourine and with dance. She celebrated to the Lord. This was, as I shared, this was God's clue to breaking free from slavery and bondage, was to sing to the Lord with dance and celebration. And when they got to the bitter waters, if they had of danced around those waters, they would have made them sweet. Feeling bitter today? Put on your dancing shoes. Sing unto the Lord. Dance and celebrate. Give your face a rest and begin to worship and praise him and celebrate. I pray for that spirit to be on me that was on Reg and Nancy that every week, come rain, hail or shine, whether it was good or bad, they would dance again. That's how they used to dance. Every week, through every song. Right up to the communion. They'd look at each other and smile. 
I don't know what they're doing here today in church. That song's lousy, but let's keep dancing. And on they go. And I'd sit there as a young boy and think, this is worth the prices to watch them. It was amazing. And there was Mrs. Pruneface and, you know, Father Carbuncle, and they'd be sitting there as every week, miserable, but Reggie Nancy, on they go. And they learned a secret of making a bit of water sweet. They were the sweetest people in the whole church. Enthusiasm literally means in theos, to be in God. Here's the thing. You can't be in Christ Jesus and not be enthusiastic. It's impossible. Tell yourself today, I'm enthusiastic. And it's not a lie. It's, just, it, it's, it's truth. You may not feel like it, but it's who you are. How many people are in Christ Jesus? Well, you're enthusiastic. Psalm 22.3 says, You are holy and you inhabit the Tehillah of Israel, the praises. You are holy. See, God settles with his enthusiastic praise. Psalm 33.1, praise or Tehillah from the upright is beautiful to God. Every time you're enthusiastic and you yell, scream, shout, clap, dance, run around the building... God says, you know what? To me, that's beautiful. That's a jumper that I could wear. I'm keeping that present. It says he would give us a garment of tehillah for the spirit of heaviness. He wants to place over your life a garment of enthusiastic joy for life. I get so... When you're around Christians that are just moaning sad sex. There, there are seasons, I know, I know. But some people are in an awfully long season. We walk through those valleys and, and we do. And I'm not saying we have to put on a, an act, okay? You've, you know, if, if something tragic's happened, then have, express grief. But, you know, get out the other side and rejoice. This is not a theory to me. I've had to learn when you go through hard times, you know, there, it's okay to yell and scream and get upset. And, and, well, you know, but you've got to come out the other side and you worship and make a decision to praise, get back on your boat and, and begin to worship God and celebrate and rejoice. Do you know when Abraham looked up and he saw the three men standing by him, he, he it says he ran from the tent to meet them. And he bowed down and worshipped. There's something about worship and running that go together. It's an awareness that he is here. And I've seen people under the anointing of the Spirit begin to run in worship because they're aware that God is here. Again, um, was it Elijah that girded up his loins and, and he outran the chariot? There's this, it's like declaring that the breakthrough is upon us. Zacchaeus, he ran ahead. He was positioning himself for an encounter. So there's all these prophetic acts that express our enthusiasm. And I want to say today, church, that after this sermon, there is now no excuse for you not to be an extravagant, passionate worshipper. The, 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 uh, the baton has been passed from Reg and Nancy. And somebody, and they're, they're waiting. They're in heaven now. They're the, the crowd of witnesses and they're passing that baton and saying, who will take that up? Who will dance every week? Who will celebrate and sing and, re, and be so rejoicing? Even when you know people think you're crazy, who will honor me? Who would have a heart after God? 
Psalm 22.3 says that God sits and inhabits on the praises of his people. So when we worship and praise, like we did today, we are building a seat for God. So we need to build a big seat because he's a big man. Well, you know, the context. He is greatly to be praised. And it comes down in his heaviness, his kabod, his glory. And, and, and I wasn't being rude when I'm just using a picture. And so we build a tiny little chair with our anemic worship. I'm not saying we, I'm, I'm talking the church at times. And in our own lives, and we say, God, here's our chair. And God says, if I sit on it, I'll crash it. I need a bigger chair with bigger legs. I'm a big man. I, I, I'm, I've got glory in I'm full of the kabod. I am the kabod. I am heavy. So that as the church begins to praise and worship with such celebration and unrestrained hearts, the chair gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we say more of your glory, more of your power, more of your presence, more of you in our services. And God says, on that, on that, on that thing called a chair, I'd bust it. So we keep worshiping. And we extend our hearts in praise and worship. And the chair gets bigger and bigger. And God says, now there's a place. Like Solomon's temple. Why did he come to Solomon's temple? Because they built a big chair. It's called hundreds of thousands of sacrifices, of celebration. The trumpet blowing. People just so joyful. And you do that every day. You build a chair in your heart for God to come and rest on. How big's the chair? Are you saying, well, God, why aren't you doing more? And God's saying, well, I'd like to, but your chair's too small. Make room for me. Celebrate, worship, praise. So that's why I say to you, church, worship is not a lead-up event to the preaching. Preaching today, everything that I preach is to help you become better worshipers, more equipped. That's the thing, because when you worship, God moves. When you come to church, all things being equal, this, to me, is probably, in my mind, the most important event of the week. When God's people come together in holy power, something powerful is going to happen. And in many churches today, people have walked in, you know, haven't prepared their hearts, all sorts of things. And it's great that they get there. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticise them. But there's something about a holy army that is there, ready, on time, ready to go. It's a 100-metre race and I want to be there. And we dive into worship together as a mighty army. And then God comes on his chair and he begins to move. 